We're embarking on a new study, Book of Revelation. You may think that COVID has taken my brain, taking on Revelation, but I'm taking it on because I know that God will encourage us with it. The book was written to a suffering church, a persecuted church in A.D. 90, uh, 90 years or so after Christ was born. John the Apostle was writing this book from exile to encourage the church. A lot of signs and symbols and numbers seem strange to us, but it wouldn't have seemed so strange to Christians or believers who had grown up with the Old Testament. A lot of these symbols are rooted in the Old Testament. So as we study this New Testament book, we'll also understand our Old Testament better. John the Apostle writing to the New Testament church beginning to suffer, really, to suffer persecution for the first time. They'd suffered some persecution on and off, but this is systemic persecution. Domitian was greatly threatened by the Christian church because he, he recognized that, that, the, that the Christians were not just a subset of, the, of Judaism. They were, they were a group that believed they had a king, and it wasn't the Roman king. It was King Jesus. He was threatened by that, so he started to search out Christians and persecute them if they did not worship him or flatter him as the emperor. And so John is writing to encourage the church that Jesus is still king, even while they're suffering, and that he is going to triumph. I'm going to give you an outline of this book today that I trust will make it accessible to you. I put off this book for a long time because when I first became a Christian, this book scared me to death. The people who were teaching it taught it in such a way that I just knew that the Antichrist was behind every bush and that any day that uh, God was going to uh, bring uh, whatever international enemy we had at the time in to make us all make us all prisoners. And that was the extent of my, it was just terrifying. I, was, I watched movies that were frightening and, and uh, they, were, they were cheap movies. They didn't have enough money really to have good props. And so they used old UPS trucks. So I grew up afraid of UPS trucks because they were carrying around the, the, the representatives of the Antichrist. So that's not true, I assure you. But it is a book that is, has been lost to many of us because we thought it's too difficult. It's too much beyond us or it's too frightening. But this is a book that is a gift to us in Jesus Christ. And I want you to have it. I want you to possess it. I want you to be encouraged by it. And here it is. If you don't get anything else from this series, here is what the book of Revelation is about. Jesus wins. Jesus is winning, and Jesus wins. And here's how the book of Revelation begins. Chapter 1, verse 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us, 
and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Brothers and sisters, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Several years ago, the professor of uh, legal history at Princeton, Robert P. George, who is a man I greatly admire, his scholarship anyway, addressed the National Catholic Prayer Breakfast, and he said this, which I think is worth quoting in full. It's a long quote, but I think it's worth hearing. He said this, the days of socially acceptable Christianity in the West are surely over. The days of comfortable Christian orthodoxy are past. It's no longer easy to be a faithful Christian, a good Catholic, or an authentic evangelical witness to the truths of the gospel. A price is demanded and must be paid. There are costs of discipleship, costs that are burdensome and painful to bear. The saving message of the gospel of Jesus Christ includes integrally the teachings of his church on the profound and inherent dignity of the human person and the nature of marriage as a conjugal bond, a one flesh union. Believing these kinds of things is a crucial part of the gospel. To be a witness to the gospel today is to make oneself a marked man or woman. It is to expose oneself to scorn and reproach, to unashamedly proclaim the gospel in its fullness, is to place in jeopardy one's security, one's personal aspirations and ambitions, the peace and tranquility one enjoys, one's standing in polite society. One's Witness may even cost treasured friendships. It may produce familial discord and even alienation from family members. Yes, there are costs to discipleship, heavy costs. One day we will give an account of all we have done and failed to do. One thing alone will matter. Was I a faithful witness to the gospel? Did I do everything in my power to place myself on the side of truth? The one whose only begotten son tells us that he and he alone is the way, the truth, and the life will want to know from each of us whether we sought the truth with a pure and sincere heart, whether we sought to live by the truth authentically and with integrity, and whether we stood up for the truth, speaking it out loud, And in public, bearing the costs of discipleship that are inevitably imposed on faithful witnesses to truth by cultures that turn away from God and his law. Or were we ashamed of the gospel? While there be a number of things we will not understand in this study of Revelation, by the time we get to the end of it, we will certainly understand that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. 
we will certainly understand that he is the king who is returning and he is king who is bringing a judgment day and he will divide the sheep from the goat. He will divide those who said, Lord, Lord, on the earth but did not live with him as Lord. Those who feigned Christianity or those who never got around to it, he'll separate those from the sheep, those who not only believed in the Lord Jesus but confessed that he is Lord. And as we study this book, we will not only see him to be the king, but we will want him to be a king. If we study this book and, and the Spirit gives us eyes to see and reason to our minds, we will say, who would ever turn their back on such a king? Because this is the good king. This is the king who can be trusted. This is the king who put down his life, laid down his life for us and makes every persecution, every suffering worth it because he is the good king. Jesus wins. Jesus is winning. And those who will be found with him are those who are Jesus Christ followers. Let me show you this good king. If you've not embraced him, I pray you're attracted to him. If you've forgotten him, if you've been neglecting him, I pray you're reconnected to him. But here I'm going to give you an outline of the book of Revelation that will make it accessible to you. I'm a simple person, a simple mind. I have to have things simple. I want this to be simple for you. Four key, four points of the outline that outline this book and make it accessible to you. Write it down with a pencil, with a pen. Write it in the book, the Bible, in your pew. Just take it home with you and send us 10 bucks when you get home. But write it down because I want the book of Revelation to be for you. Four visions. Vision number one, chapters one through three. Vision number two, chapters four through 12. Vision number three, chapters 12 through 19. And vision number four, chapter 20 through 22. Now we'll look at each of those in turn, but you see those four visions. And here's the way you can remember those four visions because this is what John is doing. He is taking us by the Spirit up into, into heaven and he's saying, let's go around the throne. Let's look at it from four different directions. Look over here. He takes us by the hand and he says, here is King Jesus and here's what it means for your life. C come over here. Here's another vision. This is King Jesus and this is what it means for your life. Look over here. King Jesus. And come to the front and look at him in the eye. This is King Jesus. It's what it means for him to be your king. I'm not making up that fourfold division. It's indicated to us uh, as by John. In every one of those visions, it starts out with, I was in the Spirit. I was in the Spirit. Chapter 1, verse 10. I was in the Spirit. Chapter 2, verse 7. I was in the Spirit. I was in the Spirit. I was, I was in the Spirit. And this is the vision that I was given. So four, four visions. You have an introduction and conclusion. That's the book of Revelation. And it all means Jesus wins. Well, let's look at each of those visions <clears throat> beginning in uh, chapter 1 through chapter 3, verse 22. And with each of these, I'm going to give you two more handles, two more pegs, 
upon which to hang your thoughts so you can understand what each section is about. I'm going to give you a comfort that comes from that vision and a condition for experiencing the comfort of that vision. And the the comfort of the first vision, the first vision of the king is this is the king who teaches. This is the king who teaches. He he, he has a vision of Jesus coming among the the candelabras, the candlesticks, and these candles represent the churches. And the, the king is walking among the churches. The comfort is that he's with us. The king who teaches us is with us. He points out things that are that we're eager to hear. He points out things that we don't like hearing. He points out things that we had no idea that we were not doing or we, we were doing. So that the teaching may be intense at times, but it is always with this comfort that he is with us as he teaches us. Look at chapter 2, verse 7. As he's talking to the church at Ephesus, he says, To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. That may sound strange to you, unless you know the Old Testament. And if you remember the Old Testament, you know that it begins with Adam and Eve in the garden in paradise. And they, they had every tree of the garden from which they could eat. And the, but there was this one, the tree of life, from which they were not to take. And they, 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 even though they walked with God in fellowship and in intimate communi- communion. It was not enough for them. They wanted to dispel God. They wanted to get rid of God and become God themselves. So they disobeyed and they were expelled from the garden, from paradise. But look at this promise. Jesus says, not all hope is lost. I've come to pay the price so that I could restore you to that fellowship I'm going to restore you to the tree of life. I'm going to teach you everything that you need to know for life and godliness. No, the Bible's not a scientific textbook. No, the Bible's not going to tell you how to invest in the stock market. But the Bible will tell you what you need to know about the most important things of this life and that which is to come. It will be a tree of life for you. And I am in your midst with you in intimate communion in order to teach you those things. That should be comforting. Well, what is the condition for experiencing that comfort? Again, it's in chapter 2, verse 7. It's, it's to overcome. It is to persevere. It's perseverance. To the one who conquers, I will grant. He says that over and again. To the one who overcomes, to the one who conquers. Well, now you say, well, this book is not for me because I'm not a conqueror. I've already given up. I'm a quitter. I don't have what it takes. I'm so discouraged. I'm despondent. I'm bitter. Ah, But you've got to understand, these conditions are not conditions that are laid on you as if Christ is saying, you know, if you will just work up the courage, if you will just work up the perseverance, if you'll just work up the consistency, then you can be on my team. No, Jesus came in order to fulfill the conditions and to make us qualified. Jesus came to join his life to us so that when we receive him by faith, he enables us to persevere. 
So each of these conditions is not something by which John is saying, you know, you need to go out and buy the book uh, uh, Perseverance for Dummies or you need to do the self-help course on perseverance. He is saying, if, this, if you're in Christ, this will be true of you. It's like this, not unlike this virus that we're battling where people say, the experts say that you will either, one way or another, you're going to have this virus. It's either going to be in, inhaled by you or injected by you. There's only, you're, you're only going to be, your body is only going to be able to fight it with antigens or, or antibodies. And so you can say, you know, I'm a strong person. I'm not going to get it. I'm determined I'm not going to get it. And you can feel like you're, 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 you're bulletproof. Or you can say, I feel like I've already had it. But the proof will be when somebody spits on you and it gets in your body, your body will either fight it or it will not. And this is, uh, your body will persevere or it will not. It'll succumb to the disease, not necessarily death, but it will be infected. And here's, here's what, what John is saying is the suffering that comes on you in the Christian life is ultimately to prove are you rooted in me or not? Am I in you or not? Am I your antigen? Am I your antibody? Suffering is the acid test of the Christian life. And so what has happened in this pandemic or after the death of George Floyd or the other things that have, the other maladies that have beset our country, it's revealed what has formed us. We have either, we have either defaulted to our Christian mind that's been formed by our union with Christ or we've defaulted to those worldviews that, uh, that have formed us even if we thought we were being formed by Christians by Christianity. Jesus says, the one, who, the one who is united to me will be proven by his or her overcoming in the midst of trial. Jesus is the one who teaches and enables us by being with us. The second vision comes in, in chapters 4 through 12, or 4 through 16, sorry, 4 through 16. And uh, to focus just on what the theme of that, that uh, section is, I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 12. The whole vision is, is 4 through 16, but <clears throat> chapter 12 is sort of the, the pinnacle of it. In chapter 4, John takes us to the throne, the throne, and, and he says, there was one who sat on it, and of course, that was Jesus Christ. And as I looked at that throne, I, I, I had one, he said, in effect, I had one eye on what is, where Jesus is ruling, and then I had an eye on what's happening on the earth. And I see that Jesus is in charge, he is ruling, at the same time the church is being persecuted. And we know because of the use of Old Testament imagery that the woman in chapter 12 represents the church, the people of God. The child that, the, that she is holding represents Jesus Christ because God said, I will cause uh, the woman, uh, the, 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 the Messiah to come through the line of the woman and that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent, crush the head of the devil. 
The devil is the dragon here. So the woman, the people of God. The child is Jesus Christ whom God brought through his people. And this one protects the church from the dragon. That's the point. There's a lot of, a lot of strange and, and, uh, and intense imagery, but that's the main point. Jesus, King Jesus, is not only the teacher who is with us. King Jesus is the one who protects us. He protects us. And our comfort is that he is going to protect us even after death. Even if those coming after the church, even after those persecuting Christians, even if we're killed, we're protected. How does he make that point? Because he says we'll be resurrected. Now hang on a minute. Here's how this resurrection comes. It's strange stuff, but you can get it. Listen, here's how it comes in this second vision. Here's how he makes the point. Rough times followed by resurrection. He does that three times, and he does it with three sets of seven. There are seven seals. There are seven trumpets. And there are seven bowls. And, and uh, each of those, the seals, the trumpets, the bowls, they all say this, basically this, tough times. Every Christian will go through tough times. The church of Jesus Christ will go through intense persecution. And they'll be tempted to think, is Christ still on the throne? But after it's all done, after all of this suffering is done, Jesus Christ will return and he will raise those who have died in him to himself. How does he make that point? After every one of those sevens, there's an earthquake. And the earthquake, there's an earthquake because the earth will shake as it's giving up the dead. We know that from the way when Jesus died. Remember when Jesus died, the, the graves were opened. There was an earthquake and the graves were opened. And those who had died Believing on the Messiah to come, we're raised to life. And he said, that day is coming. The greatest of earthquakes is coming. After the suffering is finished, Jesus Christ will return. So many bodies will be plucked out of the earth. It will be a great earthquake. You're going to be protected. Jesus is the king, the king who protects. That's our comfort. And the condition is courage. That comes in chapter 12, verse 11. They conquered him. Hear that conquering again? How did they conquer him? By the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, because they loved not their lives even unto death. How will you conquer? How will you be courageous? By starting with the blood of the lamb saying, Lord Jesus, I have nothing with which to commend myself to you. I don't deserve to be saved. I despair of my own righteousness, my own ability to keep myself. Please apply the blood of your righteousness to me in the place of my sin and make me courageous to confess your name. Grow up in me. Unite me so much to yourself that that it doesn't matter. No one can take anything away from me. No one can threaten me, even with death. I will stay true to you. That's the second vision. The third vision in my 
My notes have been raptured somewhere. Oh, here they are. Third vision is that Jesus the King liberates. Jesus the King liberates. That vision is found in chapter 17 to 21. Jesus promises to return. The King is coming back. And the comfort is that we will be given vindication. Look at chapter 19, verse 17. 19, verse 17. I saw an angel standing in the sun. And with a loud voice, he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, come gather for the great supper of God, to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, the flesh of men, both free and slaves, small and great. You know what he's saying? If you die in Christ, he will raise you to life. Not as an end in itself, but in, in order to make you fellow conquerors with him. The New Testament says we will be judges with him. This strong sense of vindication that we have, this strong sense of vengeance and justice that, that, that unfortunately drives unhealthy, some unhealthy movements in our culture to say, I want vengeance now, I want vindication now. It is right to desire justice. It is right to desire vengeance on evildoers, vindication of the righteous. But only Christ will bring it perfectly. And the day is coming when he will not only bring it perfectly, but he will include us in it. There is that day to look forward to. That is the comfort when we're overwhelmed with evil and we think, how can this world be any, be any worse? Who is ever going to call evil people and evil movements and systems to account? Jesus will, and he will give you a hand in participating in it. What is the condition? The condition is to live obediently in him. It's to live obediently now even if it causes suffering. Where do I find that? Chapter 19, verses 6 and following, Jesus describes, or John describes what is said in heaven, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. The bride is the church of Jesus, all the Christians. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. You have to be robed properly to enter into heaven. That robing is not only the righteousness of Christ on the cross, but it is the righteousness of Christ that he works out in us in accomplishing obedience. It is Christ who makes us obedient. The indication that you belong to Christ is that you obey him even when it is difficult and it costs you. Fourth vision. We've come all the way around the throne now. We've seen a king who teaches us, and we've seen a king who protects us, and we see a king who liberates us, and now we look straight at him, and we see a king who celebrates. If Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, 
The face of Jesus Christ is not terrifying to you, but will be one of welcome. It will be one of joy. Everywhere the kingdom is envisioned in the gospels, it's like a party. Christ welcomes you home. He throws a banquet for you. The comfort of this final vision is heaven, chapter 21. 1 to 8, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city Jerusalem coming down, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. The condition, what is the condition for gaining heaven? Doing enough? Good works, even though those good works indicate you're a Christian, it's not, that's not the condition. The condition being good enough, being worthy enough, that's not the condition. What is the condition to hearing Christ at the end say, well done, good and faithful servant? It's in verse 17 of chapter 22, the last chapter of the book. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. This is trust. This is what it means to trust God, to have faith in Christ alone for salvation. It is to come to him for it. Maybe you thought that you were a believer because your parents were. Maybe you thought you're safe and you're a Christian because you've come to church your whole life. Or because you think the right way. It doesn't matter really how you live, in private, or when push comes to shove, when you're put into a corner, you have a choice to declare Christ or not. That doesn't matter. you're realizing today there is a king on his throne who looks into your life and looks into your, into your heart and your mind. And he demands allegiance and he asks you, are you mine or not? If you are mine, it will burn its way out of you in the way you obey, in the way you trust, in the way you persevere, and in the way you keep coming back to me because you know you're not able on your own to live to the end. To the one without bread, the one without money, the one without water, he says, come. Take it without price. And when you give up, you become a conqueror. You take yourself off the throne and you see Jesus as the king. When I was in college, there was a, a doctor, a famous doctor, who went to a church down the street from the one I was an intern in. He was a member of Brainerd Baptist Church. His name was Dr. Maurice Rawlings. His, uh, he was a, a cardiologist and, 
had a distinguished career. He had been Dwight Eisenhower's personal physician. He was a physician for the Joint Chiefs of Staff. He was an associate professor at University of Tennessee Med School. Maybe some of you had him for cardiology. He wrote a couple of books. Uh, one is Beyond Death's Door, and the other is To Hell and Back. And he, he, he had, uh, in his, 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 his work as a cardiologist, he had a number of patients who had near-death experiences, those who had died on the table uh, and yet had, and then had come back. And they, they each had a story to tell. He, he decided after a while, I need to interview these people. So he interviewed 300 of his patients who had had near-death experiences. His studies are unique in that one that's by a medical doctor. and Another is that, <clears throat> that he interviewed them immediately after their experience. He didn't wait for months or years till they had a chance to rethink it. And then he had this uniqueness about his study. 50% of those who had near-death experiences didn't see light and angels and so forth. They saw hell. They felt the heat. They saw the flames. They saw ghoulish creatures. They were terrified. And then by grace, they were allowed to live again. Now, most of those who gave him that initial testimony years later when he followed up with them changed their story. It was too painful for them to talk about hell, especially to their family members. And so they said, yeah, I saw light and angels and the voice of Jesus and so forth. He saw, he experienced, he heard from these patients the reality of that which is to come. You will either be in heaven or hell. You live for Christ now or not. You live for Christ now, you live with him in eternity. You don't live with him now will not live with him in eternity. Dr. Rawlings said this at the conclusion of his study. Just listening to these patients has changed my life. There is a life after death, and if I don't know where I'm going, it is not safe to die. I would not be faithful as a preacher of the gospel if I did not ask you today, do you know where you're going when you die? And you can know today by coming to Christ. And when you have come to Christ, if you have come to Christ, then you may know this too while living here. Jesus Christ is on the throne. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and he will rule and reign till he brings all of his and your enemies under his feet. Jesus is winning, and Jesus will win. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for revealing this truth to us. Pray for that one who has put off surrendering his or her life to you.
even though they may have known about it for many years. May this be the day of salvation and discipleship. That one who has been running from you is in the far country. Bring him, bring her back. And for the rest, comfort and and reinvigorate us with the confidence Jesus is king. He's winning. He will win. Jesus' name, amen.